If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Today on the podcast, I have Nikesha, and she talks about her journey to become a solo mum to her beautiful daughter, Willa. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Nikesha. I would love to get started with understanding what you went through to um, make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. My journey actually started and escalated really quickly in comparison to a lot of women, a lot of families that I've just heard that have gone through IVF. Um, so mine was November 2019. I had a gyno, gyno appointment because I had some pain. Mm-hmm. and I went in because I've got private health a week later I got some polyps removed um and I had some endo um burnt off as well and I went in for my follow-up a few days after and um I've got a rare form of what's called ankylosing spondylitis which is a form of arthritis but then I've got a rare form of it again Wow. Um, so it means that your bones and joints can fuse together, things can break very easily, um, you're in a lot of pain a lot of the time. And she had spoken to my rheumatologist um, after my surgery. And so I went in for my checkup. Um, my dad was very kind enough to wait outside in the car for me so I didn't feel alone. Yeah. Um, and she said to me, I'm aware you want children, um, but I need to let you know that uh, your pelvis and your sacroiliac joints aren't strong enough for more than the next year to carry children. Wow. So if you want children, you would have the next year to make that happen. And, and how old were you at this point? I was 27. Wow. Okay. So I was very much like, okay, well, I already know I want children. So like, let's not lag on that. Um, what do I do? Because I don't have a partner. Um, and if you tell me to go to an R&B night and hit up a club, I'll do it to get my baby. But like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting my baby. And she goes, oh, we can do IVF. I linked up with Monash IVF. So um, straight away, I can fill in the paperwork now um, and we can get you in there next week. I was like, yep, no worries. So we did that straight on the spot. Um, And then I went out to the car and dad was like, oh, how was it? Was everything okay? (laughs) And I just burst into tears. 
and I was just very much like I have to have a baby now if I want a baby and he knows that I wanted a baby and he said to me very much no no questions he'd be there to support me Um, and his commitment was to me and making sure I get that child so um, like sitting in the car going I'm expecting her to come back and say yeah they got everything removed and everything's fine not yeah I'm having a baby now what I'm gonna make a baby (laughs) Um, so a week later I went to Monash, um, and it was all very rushed. I felt, and not necessarily because of what I had, but I just kind of felt on their end, it was quite rushed and they just kept saying, oh, you're so young, you're so young, you'll, you'll get a lot like of, of eggs, you'll get a lot of embryos. And I was like, okay, all right. And I kept saying to my dad, oh, I really hate that they kept saying I'm so young. Like, it's really quite offensive. And um, then it got to the point where IUI was off the table. Mm -hmm. Um, They said pretty much because I was on such a time limit, it was IVF. Um, So I did my therapy. Um, The thing that I was probably most offended with with IVF was honestly, and I'm assuming you had to do the same, was getting a working with children's check and a police check to do IVF. And I don't know I if everyone I, has to do that or if that's a solo thing, or if it's that, that goes with the donor. It really, it really hurt my feelings. I just assumed Australia was weird because I didn't need to do that in New Zealand, but I had to do it here and I'm like, I feel like you have to be working with children for everything here. It's just bizarre. So. Oh, and but I just remember calling my best friend and I was like, I could go have sex with anyone and I don't need to have a police check. <laughs> like, yeah. why do I need a police check and a working with children's check to start this family? So did that nice and quickly. Um, did my therapy. That was nice and quick. Two sessions were all done. Um, then we paid across numerous cards. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she was like, how would you like to pay? And I was like, five grand on this one, five <laughs> on that. Um, so Willa ended up costing me 17 and a half thousand up front. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get any money back until I was four months pregnant. So I had to wait a bit for it. I don't know if that's normal, but I did have to wait quite a while for it. Um, and once I paid, I then got access to the donor list. Mm-hmm. They did warn me as you like have heard many times that the list was a little dry, um, and I remember getting it and I had friends ask me, how will you pick? And I was like, I'm just going to be real cutthroat about it. Like it's Tinder. I'm just going to swipe them off if there's something wrong. <laughs> um, and my priority was health due to my condition. Um, I wanted to make sure that Willa's donor uh, was as healthy as he could be. Mm-hmm. So um, my dad printed off like 20 profiles and we sat there with a highlighter and we just went through them all um and then we narrowed it down and then I got my top three and I remember so Willa's donor was actually my third choice oh, okay so I got a phone call the day after I submitted it um saying your top choice has CMV do you have CMV and I'm going to be honest, it was under the question, do you tan easily? So I didn't really focus that much on, on the question, do you have CMV? Uh, and I said, I, I don't know if I do or not. Um, and I rushed them when I got tested and we got the results the next day and I didn't have it. Um, they gave me the option to continue with him, but I chose not 
do for obvious reasons. So he was off the pile. Then my second one had pulled his sperm from the shelf um, the night before. So then he was off. And then Willa's donor was the last one. Um, and they said, did you want to look at all the profiles again? And I said, no, he was on there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Let's go with him. Um, so I bought enough for one cycle because I figured if it didn't work once, I wasn't that connected that I thought I've got to stick with this sperm for the next one. Like, yeah, I'll mix it up. Um, so it was picked and then I literally, um, had my egg pick up, um, and I was so lucky. So when I had my egg pick up the week later is when IVF stopped, Uh, um, because of COVID. Mm. So because that already started the process, they couldn't stop with mine. Um, so I had my egg pick up and even on that day, they kept saying, you'll have so many, you'll have so many. And I was like, okay, well, I'll have so many then. And when I woke up, I looked at my hand and there was a number eight written on it. And I was like, well, that's not many. And I was like, they, they kept saying, you'll have so many. So I was like, okay, well, eight, like quite a few could fertilize and I got a call the next day and they said, oh, six have fertilised. So I was like, okay, well, that's promising. And then I got another call saying you'll have a day three transfer. And I was thinking, okay, well, that's not not great. Like they're not really feeling confident in all of them. And then I went in for my day three transfer. And I remember the night before thinking, I know how they got the eggs out, but how do they put the embryo back? (laughs) Because no one had explained it to me. Wow. So I Googled it and I was thinking, that doesn't sound like a fun time. <laughs> so I went into it knowing what Google had said and right beforehand um, they met with me and they said, um, we just have to let you know um, none of your embryos have survived except for the one we're going to transfer today. And I was like... I've really put all my eggs in one basket. Like it's just this one. And I was just like, okay, well, we'll transfer this one and I'll figure it out if it doesn't work, but I feel pretty good that like it's going to work. So we did my transfer and in the middle of it, I said to the nurse, do most women cry? And she said, yes, like it's very painful. So most women do cry. Um, but I actually had, I had the person who was doing it, who was an OB and he was doing it, thought this guy's got a voice that I recognize and god he's friendly like he's so nice and he was talking about his kids and his grandkids with so much love and whilst his hand was inside me I realized that he was Sophie Pierce from Beyond the Bumps dad um (laughs) and I said is your daughter the host of Beyond the Bump (laughs) because I hear it at my friend's house because she's a mum. He goes, oh, yes, she is. It's like small world. And I said, just make sure you, you put the embryo in nice and deep. We, like, we want it to work. So he was really lovely. So he made it a lot more enjoyable for me. Um, and then the nurse said, make sure you don't do any pregnancy tests. And I was like, oh, honey, I've already bought like 100. Like I'm <laughs> testing. It's happening. So I did test. I waited for it to fade a little bit and then I just kept testing and testing and I got to day 10 
um, and I had my blood test uh, and then they called me back and it was like, I feel like it's not as exciting when they just call you to say, you're pregnant because <laughs> I don't even say you're pregnant. They just go, your HCG is. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm pregnant. And they're like, yep, you're pregnant. <laughs> um, so it was not as exciting that way, but I kind of already knew based off all the well, I was going to say, it was test. Test. surely you knew what it was going to be. Yeah. So we just all lined up on my wardrobe. And I was like, I feel pretty confident about this. Um, so it was literally, I started November. December delayed me because my period started on Christmas Day. So that threw December out. Um, And then January was my go time. And then I literally had my transfer on um, Valentine's Day. So when everyone has sex on Valentine's Day, I literally, it's like I had sex myself. I made my own Valentine's baby. (laughs) So, yeah, it was all done within three and a bit months from when I first found out I had to have a baby now to when I was pregnant. So it's not normal that you would go in, I think, so unprepared from the clinic though. By the sounds of it, they didn't really tell you what to expect or what was actually going to come. They were just like, we just have to get this done for you because you've got a ticking time bomb. I had not even the slightest idea And I'm someone, because obviously I have to go to a lot of medical appointments, so I'm someone who researches a lot. And I literally got to the night before and I was like, like, I've got some idea how it would go back, but no one's actually explained the procedure to me. And it said, oh, um, you can have Valium if you want. I was like, well, Valium's not really going to do anything. And the nurse said to me, oh, the next time you've got to do this again, you can have Valium. And I was just like, oh, okay. (laughs) So luckily there was no next time, but there was no explanation um, prior to what was going to happen. And I was really shocked by that. So then since then, anyone I know who's done IVF or is coming up to do it, I say, um, just make sure you ask about the transfer process because I've found it uncomfortable. It wasn't a fun time. Have you met Um, other people that have had similar uneducated I want to say, experiences, just with that clinic? No, no. no. Um, But they've all been at least 10 years older than me. So it's not like I haven't asked about it Mm. or asked about things. Um, But even Monash, like like everyone that I encountered, like Monash were good, um, but I didn't feel like there was some sort of personal connection and excitement and journey like you hear on the ads or anything um they just kept calling me young and that's all I heard the entire time um was that I was young so I if I went again obviously I have my willa so incredible like they did what I wanted them to do but there was no hand holding there was no um we're so excited for you there was no we're on this journey with you there was nothing like that it was just this is your appointment this is your time I would just do all of that I couldn't tell you the single name of a single person that I met at Monash even though it was all done quickly like I was in there sometimes two three four times a week I couldn't tell you the name of anyone so it made it really difficult for me when I'd hear these ads on the radio about them and I'd see them on Instagram because 
a quite well-known um, same-sex couple, their first child was born about two weeks after Willa and they went through Monash as well and they really had a great time with Monash and I'm so happy for them but it wasn't anything like that for me. It wasn't made special. It was just like they were doing a job and that's it. That's rubbish but least yeah, you, especially at least you got Willa so you don't have to go back. <laughs> through well another one but you know exactly like I don't have to go back but like if I if I did I I don't know if it would make me look for a different um clinic I feel like if I was somebody who was more emotional I would probably require a different clinic Mm. um if that if that was how they were treated as well but I can only hope that other women who are solo or other families haven't felt like that and it was just maybe the time because I was in that really rushed phase and then I was in that time right as COVID started so a lot of things changed um so I hope that other people feel differently about it if you would go back with what you know now is there something anything you'd ask differently going into it of the clinic that maybe someone listening can make sure that they ask so they have a better experience what's going to happen in the transfer (laughs) process um I think a lot of people, like when I heard them say you'll have a day three transfer only through Instagram and reading, I know that's not necessarily a good thing and that things aren't looking good, but explain to me what's going on um, so that I'm not worrying about why day three I found as well. Um, And then even just... The, the therapy, like you, I, doing the therapy just kind of felt ridiculous to me. <laughs> like it, it truly did because my best friend's a lawyer and my other best friend's a psychologist. So that's all. I was sitting there listening to them talk and I'm thinking you're just ticking boxes and none of it felt personal and none of them really um, felt as though they were asking more emotion questions. It was more illegal questions um for me so it would just be for other people understanding to ask about transfer um it wasn't awful it's kind of like getting a, a pap smear done like it's it's like that but going to it being aware that it does feel like a pap smear it's not rainbows and sunshine um so it would be that and then it would also be um if someone says to you you are so young or you've got such good follicles just being aware to ask them to stop that language mm-hmm. um and at the time I didn't because I was just kind of oh whatever but now if I went back I'd ask them to stop um because it really set my mind up to think oh okay well there are women who are 40 who get 15 eggs and 10 embryos and well I'm 27 and so that really set my mind up for a lot of failure so I think it would just be being aware of their language and then stopping it if it's going to impact you emotionally yeah I guess just because you're young doesn't mean that you're going to have good success rates either and I guess with your numbers and having a day three yeah and a friend of it kind of sets you up for a false sense of security doesn't it but then you come crashing down if it doesn't work out exactly one of my friends um she was 24 when she started and they um 
she was in a, a relationship um, and she went through three failed rounds of IVF and she went through a different clinic um, and she also heard the terminology, you are so young. Um, and it took her five rounds to get her little girl and now she's 26 and, like, she's still young but she had to go through all of that. So we've had to still go through everything just because of our age. It doesn't change anything. It's just one one factor in many, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. But we were lucky enough to get pregnant, whether it was your age or whatever it was you were just meant to be. How was pregnancy? So my pregnancy, um, when I was seven weeks, um, I ended up in um, emergency on a Sunday morning. So this awful pain in my side. And I thought, oh, what if it's a topic? Like, I don't know yet. Like, I haven't seen it. So what if it is? And I, like, I'm used to pain with my arthritis. And I thought, no, this is different. This is in a different spot. And I thought, oh, well, how, like, where is your uterus exactly? Like, how far does that go to your side? And I Googled it and I thought, oh, that is where it hurts. Yeah. So I took myself to emergency and I explained exactly where it hurt. And they said to me, oh, we might not have an ultrasound today. We might need to come back another day. And I said, um, what's inside me costs $17,500. So we're <laughs> going to check that. And uh, they checked. And the doctor said, oh, they're like, everything looks fine. Um, they're just sitting a little bit high. Um, so that'll be causing you some pain. I said, okay, so it's not ectopic. No, no, not ectopic. Just a little bit high. I'm like, oh, that's fine. Like babies drop, like, all good. So I went home and the next day I get this phone call from a specialist at the hospital and he said, oh, did they explain to you that you need to come back tomorrow for a special scan? And I said, no, they said everything was okay um and to go home and he goes uh no we're actually concerned the baby's so high it's actually in your abdomen not in your uterus and I was like what do you mean like they said it was in like everything was fine because no so we have to do this special scan on this machine to check it's not in your abdomen and although I knew it was a dumb question to ask and it was pure fear I said can they survive? Like, and I knew from watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I love Grey's Anatomy. No, like there's an episode, yeah, where one baby does survive that way, but it was a very rare chance. So um, I was like, oh, sorry, no, they can't survive because no, um, we would terminate. And so, like, I called my dad and I said, well, they said that the scan wasn't right um, and I've got to come back for another scan. And I went in the next day um, and there were six specialists in the room. And, and I had the ultrasound and they were all deciding amongst themselves and they finally decided Willa wasn't in my abdomen, she was in my uterus and she was just sitting very high um, and that she would drop down, but it took them quite some time to decide that. As soon as I said that, I was like, no, that's fine with me, she'll drop. Then um, around nine weeks, I had morning sickness start, which is you, you kind of expected. Um, but I got HG. Uh, so that was a fun time. And then with the HG, I got severe reflux to the point that um, it gave me pneumonia. Oh, wow. Um, 
And then so thinking you've got no, like pneumonia at COVID times, you turn up to the hospital at the very start, um, they literally kind of pushed me into this COVID room and the doors locked behind me. Um, and as soon as they decided it wasn't COVID, they just said, we can't do anything for you anyway. I'm like, that's fine. And I went home. So the HG I had up until 28 weeks and I was vomiting between 15 to 30 times a day. Oh, um, there is a rental that I went to go look at when I was about 16 weeks and I threw up in their backyard. So I'm very sorry to whoever got that house. <laughs> um, and I just, I could not control it. It was so bad. Um, I remember vomiting and peeing myself when I was about 20 weeks. <laughs> Um, but I just, I, I didn't get upset about it. I was just kind of like, it is what it is. But if someone said to me, oh, well, this is getting you your baby, I'd probably punch them in the face. Mm-hmm. So it was just, I knew every day I'd have to go through it, but I knew every day it would eventually stop, <laughs> even if it was late at night. Um, so I just kind of went with it. The hardest part was definitely the reflux. Um, although I'm bigger um, I actually lost 16 kilos when I was pregnant Wow! because I couldn't keep any food down. Um, so that was a real struggle. So it was a lot of smoothies and everything. Um, but it didn't phase me. Once I knew it was reflux and it wasn't COVID or something like that, I just kind of wanted to check the box. Okay, well, let's just try and manage it. It's 40 weeks. I can do 40 weeks. Um when I got to about 17 weeks, my rheumatologist said to me, um, with your back, if you can get the baby to 32 weeks, we'll be really happy with you. Like, get to 32 weeks. And I said, I'm going to get to 40. Like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. So I stopped um, all treatment for my kind of arthritis as I didn't feel comfortable as only 200 women had been on my kind of treatment and it's an injection into the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped all pain medication. So prior to getting pregnant, I was on Patanin for an endone every day and Valium maybe three, four times a week. Um, so I stopped everything. And um, I saw so I was in a lot of pain. Um, well, so pain, it's like and vomiting yeah. a lot and reflux and oh. a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was adamant I'd get to 40 weeks. Um, and I literally got the 40 weeks on the dot. <laughs> and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I did it and I'm done. <laughs> yeah. And um, my m- main problem was with the hospital because I went public, um, private. So I'm from the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Private hospitals around here wouldn't take me because I was so high risk. Oh, really? Even though I had private cover. Mitchum wouldn't take me. So I really wanted to go to Mitcham. They wouldn't take me. It was too high risk. Um, so I went to Box Hill. Um, and I'm aware that during my pregnancy, women were all telehealth, but I had to go in um, because of my condition. And so every appointment I would see AOB, uh, which was really nice. Was it a different one each time or did you get the same one? It was the same one until 36 weeks. (laughs) And then, bless his soul, he went to a regional hospital to help out, so you can't be mad at him. Um, But then it switched out to this old lady, and I'm going to say old lady because she had old lady mindset when it came to anything. And she said to me, like, at 36 weeks, I said, I'd really like to book my C-section in. 
and she said, oh, aren't we trying for a vaginal birth? And I said, no, we're not trying for a vaginal birth because I can break my pelvis. I said, I can't have a newborn and a broken pelvis. So we're doing a C-section. And she kept pushing and pushing her vaginal. And I just said no. And she would go, we'll discuss it next week. And I thought, she's just not listening to me. And got to 39 weeks. And she did the stretch and sweep. And I said, we're booking in the C-section. Like, my back is at its limit. I'm in a lot of pain. And she said, okay, we'll book it in. So she, she goes to call up to book it in. They're booked out. They're booked out for two weeks. So I'd be 42 weeks. And she goes to book it in for when I'm 42 weeks. And I'm sitting there just staring at her and I was like, I'm not going 42 weeks. And she gets off the phone and she goes, oh, sorry, they're actually, they're all booked out. And I just said, if you, you booked it a couple of weeks ago. You wouldn't be in the situation. I could have me in. I said, I'm not going to 42 weeks. I said, this is literally an investment property inside my stomach right now. <laughs> like, I didn't invest everything I have to lose her because you don't have a time for me to have a C-section. Mm. And she just said, I'm sorry, we don't have any time. And I said, I was told to get to 32 weeks. And I said, I'd get to 40. And I'm telling you, I'm at my limit. She has to come out. I said, I've done no pain medication for well over nine months. She needs to come out. And she said to me, she can't come out. We don't have any appointments. You'll just need to hold on. And I said, I need to remind you my best friend's a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) And she will get involved. And I said, I'm not holding on to anything. She's coming out. So she said, okay, we'll go home tonight, um, pack your things, and then call the hospital tomorrow and tell them that you can't feel her moving. They'll bring you in under emergency. I said, so I've got to lie to get my daughter. She goes, it's the only way you'll get her. And I felt so uncomfortable about that. And um, one of my friends who's a mum herself, and she's an incredible mum, her name's Shay. She's absolutely inspiring. She was coming with me. And I called Shay and I said, I feel really uncomfortable about lying. And I said, the best I can do is just say to them, I'm in so much pain. I don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I did that the next morning and they said, come in and we'll monitor you. And I went in and the doctor was lovely and she just said, there's no appointments to do a C-section. We can't do one today you'll need to come back in two weeks time so I just said I need you to call my rheumatologist I'm done so she went and called my rheumatologist and she came back in we'll do your c-section today like amazing so because of the rules Shay wasn't allowed to come in until they thought it'd be right before and they told me either side was um twins both sides so the mums were both trying v-backs and so I said, I was like, well, they're going to turn into C-sections. And so um, I'll, you just tell me, give me half an hour notice and Shay will be here. And it got to four o'clock and Shay came in and um, she'd bought me all this food for afterwards, like 
all this fresh juice and chocolate, but she was getting bored wedding, so she starts eating it. And I'm just sitting there <laughs> Um and then they said to me, Oh, look, we've got another set of twins coming in. So we're actually gonna deliver them and then we can do you after, but it'll be about 10:30, or we can do you first thing in the morning. I said, just do it first thing in the morning. Let me have some of that and chocolate, thanks. Oh, I I straight away I had like a liter of orange juice. I had a block of chocolate. My dad went and got me some faux, brought it to the hospital. It was great. <laughs> um so then Shay came back in at 7 a.m um and I felt quite nice having that kind of last night with Willa in the hospital and I was talking to my belly and like I was just like got to spend that time and it didn't, just didn't feel rushed um so that felt really good and then in the morning they got me down to theatre and they said to me um unless there's an emergency you're going in and as they start wheeling me there was a code pink in the car park and I was like okay and the midwife goes I'm so sorry I said don't be sorry code pink means someone's in distress that baby needs to come out this moment my baby's still happy so it's fine but she was all good she gave birth in the car park (laughs) poor poor soul um and then they pushed me through and um because of my condition um they start just checking my back a lot and obviously my friends are aware but they've never had to obviously see certain sides of it um and it was quite shocking for Shay to see like they said to me so if we have to put you under a general um so the arthritis is also in my jaw so I can't open my jaw that far they said they would break my jaw to put me under and Shay was just sitting there like what and they're like yep so we'll break it but like you'll be okay and I said oh as long as it's not wired after and they probably won't be wired I'm like okay (laughs) I'm like I can do that and they just kept checking my back and they were just like we we think it's stable enough I'm like okay no worries and like Shay was just shocked (laughs) because she'd had c-sections before and she was just like this is not (laughs) it's not like mine no one was going to break my jaw um and we get in there and it's really relaxed and everyone's really lovely and um they were so kind and I just said to Shay um if I'm put under don't let them take her to the nursery like you take your top off and you just do skin skin with her and Shay feeds both her children and I said you can just start feeding her I'm like that's fine um you have that with her like I don't want her to feel alone Mm -hmm. she's like that's fine so um, they started and um, like I met my surgeon. He was really lovely and like every, everything went really well and I obviously needed more uh, pain relief during due to my back because um, I was laying straight on my back as well um, and so more antibiotics. And then they got Willa out pretty quickly and put her on my chest and I remember thinking like, this is nice, but like, I don't feel that good. Like I don't feel well. Like, and like Shay kept talking to me and telling me how proud she was. And I was like, oh, I really, I don't feel good. And I said to Shay, you need to take her off my chest. Like I don't feel right. And I noticed that my surgeon changed and like I just said, what's wrong? And they said, you've started to hemorrhage. 
And I was like, oh, that's why I don't feel right. So they started pumping me full of more morphine and uh, more antibiotics. Um, And I ended up hemorrhaging over 50% of the blood in my body. So it was a lot. Um, And they got it under control, like, relatively quickly. And Shay had Willa on her chest and, like, I could see them for quite some time. And You weren't knocked out? I wasn't knocked out, no. So I kept trying to, like, you know when you're upset or if you're trying to keep yourself together, how you just kind of pinprick your fingers. I kept just doing that, being like, just try and stay awake and, like, it'll be done soon kind of thing. Um, And, yeah, they got it under control and I was taken to recovery and she was put on my chest and I still obviously felt very out of it in general, but then also losing that much blood. Um, And... Yeah, like Shay, literally two hours on the dot after I had her, they said to Shay, you have to leave now. Um, You've had your two hours here. And um, Shay said to them that she's hemorrhaged. Like she's not able to get up later on today because with Shay's birth, she was up within a few hours. Um, And I'd been told I couldn't stand for at least 24 hours. And... She was like, so who's going to help her? And they said, oh, the midwives will help. So I was taken up to the room after some time and I didn't see a midwife for a few hours. And, um, like, I was just sitting there staring at Willa and I kept leaning over and grabbing her and I was like, oh, this is really hurting my back. And I, I called my best friend and she said she'd call the hospital and make sure that someone could come in to help me. Um, so... Luckily, my dad was allowed in after some conversation. Um, so they let him in for two hours to help me. Um, but then when he went home, I, I didn't see a midwife at least six hours, like at least. So they were just because there was the three sets of twins um, and then they were short stuff because of COVID. And then they when they did come in, they said to me, we try not to come in too much because of COVID. Um, so which I understood, but obviously like I was very weak and so, like I was so out of it. And um, I said I don't feel safe to be alone with her because I'm barely conscious. Um, then that night, Willa started coughing up the mucus that a lot of C-section babies get. And I pressed the buzzer because I didn't know anything about it. And I no one was coming and I was like well she's on her back and she's coughing so I just had to stand up um and I just kind of held her and like rubbed at her back and so it was coming out and then the midwife came in and she told me off for standing up and I said to her I, I don't know what I could have done differently because she was choking and no one was coming um so for me the hospital stay, and I know a lot of people say, oh, I love the hospital stay. I had so much support in my hospital stay. But the hospital was so understaffed. And there was obviously mums with twins. So that's twice the load. Mm. Um, but they were allowed their partners there because um, I heard the partners throughout the night talking to the mums and I was alone. Um, so my hospital stay for me was awful. And on day two, I had this really lovely midwife and she came in and I said, I'm going to be 100% honest. 
I only know what to do with a baby based off Instagram and Google. I actually don't know how to do anything with a baby in person. And she spent about four hours showing me how to do everything. So she just went over everything with me. Um, she helped me walk to the toilet. She cleaned me up. Like she helped me shower and get dressed. And I sent the hospital this massive compliment about how incredible she was and I never heard back. And she was amazing. I really hope she got it mm. because she was like the highlight to me. Everything else was a shit show. <laughs> um, and day two afternoon, like I was told that I needed a blood transfusion um, because of how much I'd lost. They forgot to do it. Um, so I was actually sent home day two and I kept saying, I'm, I'm waiting for a blood transfusion and didn't happen. Um, and I asked about three or four times, my dad asked as well, and they just, it just didn't happen. And I said, I'm not that comfortable going home because I don't have a partner and I've hemorrhaged and I've had a C-section. So you got sent home day two after a C-section? Yeah. And they said, this is COVID protocol. And I was like, I don't feel right. I don't feel confident to be on my own. Um, and I said, my back on its own is bad enough. And it was just kind of, no, 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 we're discharged. So dad, I carried Willa um, and dad had my suitcase and we went down to the car and I could barely stand and I was sweating so much. And um, we get home and I, I was fine. Like I, so I lived with my dad um, and I, I was okay. And I had the midwife come the next day and she was shocked that I had been discharged. And I said to her, I've got pins and needles from like my skull to my toes. And the next day the hospital called me and said to me, it was 11.45 and they said, oh, we actually need you to come in at 12.30 because someone needs to check the pins and needles. And I said, I've got a newborn and I can't drive. Like, how am I going to get there at 12.30? It's in 45 minutes. And they just said, I don't know, but you've got to be here at 12.30. <laughs> So luckily, Dad was working from home um, and he took us in. Um, and I'd only like bought the basics thinking I'd be quick, but I ended up being there for eight hours. Um, and I had to have an MRI. And after the MRI, I, I said, Oh, how do I get up? Because obviously, you've got no abdominal strength. Mm. Um, and then with my back as well. And they said, Oh, we can't touch you because of COVID. Like, so <laughs> how do I get up? And he said, you'll just have to kind of roll over and catch yourself before you hit the ground. This is ridiculous. And I, I was just like, you've got to be joking me. So I did it. And I got up to the room and um, the midwives would kind of walk in and check on me, but I wasn't checked in. So that was just kind of just them being lovely. And there was a girl I went to school with there and, um, she was so lovely and it was so lovely to see her and like she told me she was proud of me and everything and it felt nice and then the um, doctor came in and said also oh, when you started to hemorrhage we rushed to get her out so we've actually nicked a nerve so that's what's causing the pins and needles it'll go away in about three months time I was like all right no worries 
So I went back home again and then my next midwife checkup, I was asked how my blood transfusion went. <laughs> I said, I never got one. I kept asking. I never had it. And so she called the hospital and she said, oh, the hospital will arrange it to get done. It never got done. <laughs> I called the hospital as well. And so I never had it. And after a month, they called and said, oh, we'll book you in tomorrow. And I said, oh, my, my body's actually made the blood now, <laughs> done the job itself. <laughs> so don't worry about it. So um, for me, um, the having will apart wasn't great. <laughs> No, but no, honestly, no, not great. <laughs> like, like I feel as though like you you kind of prepare yourself when you have your baby in the pandemic that it's not going to be what you planned. Like I planned that I would have a mani and pedi. I'd have a Brazilian. Um, my hair would be fresh, um, and I'd have a tan. The reality was there was no mani. There was no pedi. I had so much hair in my vagina that they said, can we shear it? They didn't say, can we shave a patch? They said, can we shear it? And I said, can you shear the entire thing? And he laughed and said, no, unfortunate. Um, And my tan I had done, but I had sweated all off. So there was just these patches. So there's a newborn photo of Willa that she actually has tan on her. (laughs) Sorry, Willa, it's not jaundice. It's Bondi Sands. (laughs) Um, so you kind of like, I, I was very lucky though, because I was also like, I'm going to get massages my whole pregnancy. I'm going to wear maxi dresses. I'm just going to be like beautiful. I didn't wear maxi dresses. I only wore matching loungewear. I was going to say pajamas. Um, pajamas. And I went in wearing matching loungewear with Shay to have Willow as well. And they're like, did you play this? (laughs) Um, and I was allowed to get the massages due to my arthritis. So I was um, an exemption to be able to still get massages every week. So that was really lucky. Um, So, yeah, I think I kind of, I didn't get upset that I couldn't have the pregnancy that I wanted. I just accepted it. And I was like, at the end of the day, I get, I get Willa. So who gives a shit what nine months looks like? Like I don't need to have a Maddie and Petty. That's not going to break my spirit. Like I'm, I'm getting my daughter. So um, if I got pregnant at a different time, I would have loved all those things. And in my mind, I would have looked adorable. Um, But the reality was um, a hairy bush and patchy tan and um, my skin broke out and it was a disaster. And my nails were terrible. My nails were so bad. (laughs) So it was all a bit of a hot mess, but it didn't upset me. And I know a lot of women got upset and I know that it's completely valid that they were upset, but it, it did not upset me. I just rolled with it. If you, if you were to do it again, like you hope it would be better because we wouldn't be in a pandemic, but, I mean, what can you do different? You wanted to go private and they wouldn't let you because of your condition. You had no I reckon I couldn't even push to go private in the city because they were concerned with the distance being about 40 minutes yeah. if I was lucky. Um, so I think I... I'd probably just kind of push more to try and get Mitchum, but they would, they just would not. And I understand, like, obviously if I hemorrhaged there, they would have rushed me to Box Hill. So um, I don't think there is anything that happened that I could have changed that was in my control to change again. I think it was just unfortunate. If it happened again, um, I would set in place 
um, boundaries to ensure certain things. So the like the blood, like I would I would have said I'm not leaving. Um, the day two discharge, I would have said I'm not leaving. Um, like they can't force you to leave, but at the time I was just so weak. So there's I don't think there's anything that was in my control that I could have changed for the future. But I just know that if it happened again, I'd be firm in my appointments that it would not happen again. <laughs> yeah, I think knowing what you know now, as soon as you started these appointments, it'd be like, can we book my C-section today? Thanks. That's exactly what I would do. Yeah. So in saying that, do you think there would be a second or more? So if I want um, to go again, and I get asked quite often, obviously, because I'm so young, yeah. um, and my, my mom asks me quite often too, um, if I wanted to do it again, it's a whole round of IVF or yeah. find a partner. Um, and this is the big end for me. I would have to, if I fell pregnant, which it's likely that I would because um, I'm not infertile, it's just I've got a debilitating disease, um, that I would be on bed rest the entire nine months. Because the um, period that they said you've got this long has passed and that's the... It's passed now. So, like, currently at the moment, um, back in April, I lifted Willa and I broke L5 in my back. Um, and it's still currently broken. <laughs> and even then I went to the hospital and as you know, as a sole mum, if you want to go to the hospital, it was, um, I got to emergency with dad and Willa and they wouldn't let Willa in with me. So I had to hand her over to dad and I waited eight hours to be told that it was sciatica. It's not sciatica. And they wouldn't scan me um, and they sent me home. And then two weeks later, I came back and they scanned me and they saw the break. So I'd gone two weeks with a break in my back without it being confirmed. Um, and I said, every appointment I go to, I make it very clear that I won't do certain things because I'm a solo mum. Mm -hmm. um, and I just say, I'll wait till Willa's in high school and then I'll get it done. <laughs> um, and they said to me to put, so Willa doesn't go to daycare. Um, and they said to put Willa into daycare so that I could take pain medication and go on bed rest right. because I don't take any pain medication still um, because I don't want to be that parent around Willa. Um, I do arthritis injections every fortnight, but they don't impact you at all. Um, and I just said I'm not willing to do that. So um, I just, yeah, I with my condition, unfortunately, things can break. So if I got pregnant again um it's very likely things would break um or I'd just be in a lot of pain and although I'd love it to have a second child all I think about is that's nine months that Willa would see me in bed and that's nine months without a mum to her and I can't be that selfish and maybe I'll meet someone in the future and I'll be the best stepmom ever or maybe in the future they'll find a way to control my pain or control my condition and I can have more children. And that is the blessing of being so young and just like I'm turning 30 in a couple of weeks. So like I still have got options, but to me an option of being on bed rest for nine months and Willa seeing that is not an option. And so how are you finding life with Willa? You're living with your dad. Is it everything you thought it would be? 
It is honestly incredible. So Willa is 20 months. Um, she, the last few days, cutest thing in the world, she goes, a cuddle, and then she cuddles you, and then she goes, a kiss, and she kisses you. And honestly, I would give her anything if she says that to me. It is honestly incredible. And like, I've got friends with kids. Not many of my friends have got kids, but I've got friends with kids and um, although it's very challenging um, and there are times where your sensory overload and like you're tapped out, you just keep going because you can't walk away and you can't be like, it's your turn, I'm out, see ya. Um, So for me it took probably the first eight months when they'd get really upset over things and I'd feel a little bit frustrated being like, why is it just me? Like, like why is she getting so upset? Like I'm doing what she wants and I'd feel kind of frustrated at times. And then I got to this point where I was just kind of, well, I'm her home, I'm her heart. She's crying because she's trying to tell me something and I no longer got frustrated and I never got frustrated with Willa. Um, I think the closest I got was like, please just stop crying. Um, which obviously they do not. Um, so once I got past that frustration and you never feel it, I never felt it in the newborn days, but it was that kind of four to eight months um, where she would really cry and really need a lot of me. And then I just kind of was like, okay, no, she needs me. No, this is fine. And so if she wakes up and she looks, she does it quite often. And I do have a friend saying to me, I don't know how you do it. Like she'll wake up at 3 a.m., be awake for four hours. And I would just sit there and I would just listen to the Indota playlist with her until she goes back to sleep again. And it doesn't phase me in the slightest. Um, so for me, being a solo mum has been amazing. Like I knew I was strong. I knew I was incredible, um, but that was more physical strength and mental strength with my health, whereas this has tested me in different ways and I'm just amazing. Like I'm the best and I'm meant to be Will's mum. No one else is going to have that role and we have the most beautiful connection with each other and I know that if we were in a room of a 1,000 people, she doesn't have a dad, so she will be looking for me and that's all she cares about in that room. Um, so we're literally best friends. We do everything together. Um, like she comes, like she's going to the chiropractor with me tomorrow. So she goes everywhere and I love going to the park and I don't care if the swing takes two hours and um, I love that we're one another's everything. So it's exactly what I wanted and wished for um obviously I'm starting that toddler stage now with the tantrums and I still at the end of the day feel blessed that she's in my life and like there's nothing that I would change I don't need a partner to raise her at all like she's an incredible little girl and that wouldn't change if she had a dad or another mum. Like, she's incredible on her own right. Um, in saying that, though, my dad with her, like, he's 
a thousand times better than most dads that I know to their own children. He is just her best friend. Like he will do anything for her. Um, They have the cutest bond. They do the cutest thing where she pats her heart and then he pats his heart and they do it to each other every morning and every night and any time we FaceTime. And there's not, like, I've never seen, like, a pa and granddaughter relationship like theirs. They, and I think it's possible because I am a solo mum. And I don't think it would be possible if I had a partner because, like, they would take some of that away. And he worships her. Like, they are just, and he always says that he made a commitment to me and he made a commitment to Willa. And he will be there for everything. And when I first had her and first came home, I had to feed every two hours. Um, And so every 90 minutes I would set an alarm and I'd get up and I was mixed feeding. Um, And then when I started arthritis injections again, I turned into formula. So every 90 minutes my dad would set his alarm so that I didn't feel alone. So adorable. So he just made sure that, every part of this journey I wasn't by myself um and as I mentioned to you earlier like at the moment she's asleep on him whilst I speak to you so um he just makes sure that we don't miss out on anything and he always supports us and um and I think being a solo mum has opened up their relationship massively the other thing for me was and I was discussing this with a friend earlier who had a baby the other week so my postpartum, the way I regard it is I survived, but I did not thrive. Um, I didn't have the food deliveries that people get. I didn't have like people showing up to take over so I could nap and shower and pee. Like I didn't have that. Like my best friend lives in Sydney. So she sent me Uber Eats um, a couple of times. Um, Shay has got, a child already but she also in lockdown she would send me uber eats um but she would constantly facetime me every day and check in with me but otherwise you had the kind of routine congratulations can't wait to meet the baby but no one showed up with a lasagna and like helped and I thought I would have that and I didn't have that um so that was a big shock for me and because I'd always done that with everyone else I'd always shown up with food and cleaned their place and um held them before I held their baby um so it was a real letdown for me I think COVID played a part of it but I just think it's also um my age a little bit um and the fact that only about five or six of my friends have got children and they don't get it and the friend that I was discussing this to said to me today yeah I keep getting a lot of clothes given to me and I said yeah you don't even need clothes you literally need like a sandwich and so much clean your kitchen <laughs> that's what you need so um for me it was really hard because I didn't have um that much support afterwards and I felt I thought due to the fact that I was having a child on my own I would have double the amount of support and I didn't and I, I still don't um 
So that was really difficult. And then I just accepted it. And I thought, well, I'll just make sure that I'm never like that. And I never have, and I never will be like that. It sounds like you've learned a lot along your 20 months journey. Very much. (laughs) If there is anyone sitting on the fence wondering whether they should pursue this, what would your advice to them be? My advice would be, although mine had to be done in three months, I think that would have abolished any doubt because I would worry that if you left it for so long that you would start doubting yourself, start doubting the process. I didn't get to doubt. I had to just kind of go in with it and get it done. Um, So mine would just be do not doubt yourself. You know your strength. You know you're capable of it. You just make sure that you set things in place so that you have, if you don't have that village, you can outsource that village because there's Uber Eats, Mm -hmm. there's cleaners, there's doulas, there's postpartum doulas. Um, So you just be smart about what you're missing and replace it with what will work for you. If it wasn't COVID times, I would have had a postpartum doula without a doubt, Um, and I think that would have made a huge difference for me. Um, And I was also really proud of myself. I know it's very out of people's control, but I didn't develop postnatal depression, even though I just kept coming out with challenges. I was just kind of accepted them, conquered them, and moved on. Um, But I expected it to happen because things just kept kind of collapsing for me. (laughs) (laughs) um but it didn't and but it also made me aware when friends started showing signs of personal depression to kind of step in and see how I could help them um so it would just definitely be to prepare yourself for postpartum during your pregnancy not by making your own lasagna and own slow cooked meals but by getting physical support so a week after I had Willa I had a Cairo appointment and then an osteo appointment and then two weeks after I had a women's physio appointment and I maintained all those appointments to make sure that my recovery was as good as it could be um so it's about booking those things in that you need and not putting yourself last because as a solo mum you need to be first and you need to be at your strongest because you're what's there at the end of the day for your child. So for me, I do take that time every week to get these appointments done to make sure that I can go to the park with Willa. Um, So although you might not have a partner right now or maybe ever, it's just about replacing that partner (laughs) with services. And it's so easy to book them now, especially coming out of those um, lockdown times, you can book those things in now. It's an investment to get a postpartum doula and it is the wisest investment I could think of. It's an investment to get a massage. It's an investment to have a cleaner and have meals delivered. So do whatever is going to work best for you so that you can heal and be the best mother that you can be, but also the best woman that you can be. Um, And it would also be just be things like, take time for you like every kind of couple of weeks I have an hour to myself where I might just kind of spend time with my animals because I've got three dogs and two cats (laughs) as well so um, spend extra time with them or go shopping or get my nails done or get my hair done where Willa's not coming with me Um, 
as well, just do those little things. So it's about putting yourself first because if you weren't around, there's there's no one there for your child. So you have to put yourself first. That sounds like some pretty awesome advice to end this episode with. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.